I just want us to stop for just a moment as we get ready to transition into studying God's Word together. I just want us to stop and think about the words of the song that we just sang. What an amazing uh, opportunity it has been this morning to come into the Lord's presence and to confess these words to Him this morning. As we sang that song, the Revelation song, we sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come with all creation I sing praise to the King of Kings. You, God, are my everything and I will adore you. Amen, and thank you for worshiping with us today. You know, that song that we just sang has such, uh, is such an amazing song of worship. It's called the Revelation Song because the lyrics of the song are inspired from Scripture that we find in the book of Revelation. In fact, the first half of the chorus of Revelation song, the part that says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That is a word-for-word -word quote of the NIV translation of Revelation 4, 8. And with that in mind, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4 this morning. You, you know, as I prayed about today's message, one thing that I've been constantly reminded of, especially in the pandemic season that we are in, one thing that I'm continually reminded of is that we are living in an ever-changing world. But you know, change really isn't anything new. The world is constantly changing. The seasons change, the weather changes. In my life, I've seen nations crumble and new nations formed. Most of us have changed jobs at some point in our lives. Sociologists tell us that the average college student will change majors three times before settling on something. Why is that? It's because people change. Things change. How many teenagers look and act the same way as they did when they were two years old? Now, mom and dad, don't answer that question, okay? How many senior adults look and act the same way as they did when they were 25? Things change. The world changes. People change. But one thing that never changes is the character and nature of God. So this morning, as we look at Revelation 4, in light of an ever-changing world, we are going to look at three of the ways that God never changes. Now, I know it's been a while since we finished our series in Revelation. If you remember a little while ago, we did a series in Revelation chapters 1 through 3, and it's been a little bit. So let me remind you what's going on as we drop into Scripture in Revelation 4 this morning. The book of Revelation is a record of a vision given to John the Apostle. Uh, which this is, this is a vision given to John and John writes this down. This is the same John who writes the Gospel of John. Remember John 3.16. Now Jesus says those words, but it is John who records it for us. 
He's also the author of the epistles of John, which are 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in the book of Revelation, the Holy Spirit of God gives John the Apostle a glimpse of things as they are and then things that are to come. In the first three chapters, uh, Jesus primarily addresses with John the things that were going on in that day. And if you remember, he gave John seven messages to give to seven congregations that were representative of, of all the congregations on earth at that time. But in chapter 4, John's attention is turned specifically to the throne room of heaven where Jesus, our glorious risen Savior, lets John get just a little glimpse of what is happening in heaven. And, and, and so Revelation chapter 4 picks up in the first few verses, first seven verses, we see uh, John describing the room in heaven. He describes uh, voices that he hears speaking to him. He describes being in the spirit. He describes the throne of God, the throne of heaven. And we see quite a description here. And then now we're going to pick up in verse 8 and read to verse 11. Revelation 4, 8, John tells us that each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is coming. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne, worship the one who lives forever and ever, cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and because of your will they exist and were created. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the words of Scripture that are found in the Bible this morning. Father, we pray that you would help us to understand the relevance of worshiping and loving a God that is unchanging Father, would you speak to our hearts here today in Jesus' name, amen. As we look here at these ways in which God never changes, we see some of these things here in Revelation 4. The first thing that we see is that God is holy. That is never going to change. Look at verse 8. It says, day and night, they never stop saying, they're crying out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You see, saying that, that God is holy is, is, is acknowledging that He is different. He is set apart from all that exists, from everything. God is creator. The universe and everything in it, they, they are His creation, but God is set apart from creation and all of the other things in existence because He is holy. He is creator. I think that's one of the reasons why in 1 Samuel 2 it says there is 
none like you. There is no one holy like the Lord, no one besides you, and there is no rock like our God. Listen, that means that he, he is holy. He is different. God is not the same. So, someone once described it as saying that he is other. There is no one like our God because his nature is different. As humans, Scripture tells us that we are created in the image of God in His likeness, but we're not created in His substance. And we're not created with His nature. If you understand what that means, let me explain that to you. When it comes down to it, there are certain things about God that we just cannot understand or comprehend. Because in his very essence and nature as God, he is different than we are. I think about it like this. I heard John MacArthur say one time that God is, is incomparable and infinite in perfection. Talking about the holiness of God, the otherness of God. God is incomparable and infinite in perfection. And the reality is, is that none of us in creation, none of us in all of humanity, none of us are, are infinite in perfection. We're not infinite in anything and we're not perfect in anything. So it is logically consistent that there will be things about the nature and existence of God that we will not be able to comprehend. But every once in a while, throughout Scripture, we see that God will give People, just a small glimpse of his presence, of his character, of his nature. And one of those times is right here in Revelation 4, where in the Spirit, John sees the throne room of God. He sees living creatures with six wings proclaiming the holiness of God. And what's amazing about this is this is the exact same picture that we see uh, described in Isaiah chapter 6 when the prophet Isaiah was given a, a vision of the same throne room in the same heaven delivered to him by the same God. I want to read to you just the first few verses out of Isaiah 6 verses 1 through 3. The prophet Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. The same phrase that we see in Revelation chapter 4 we see in Isaiah chapter 6, this phrase, holy, 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 written the way that that is, is only found in two places in Scripture, Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4. And each time, each time it's there to emphasize the truth of the statement, the truth of that proclamation. It would be like you sending a text message 
or an email to a friend and you have a you're going to include some things in that message but there's one or two things that you want them not to miss it's all important but there are a couple things here that are crucial for them to understand foundational for them in this letter and so and so what you're going to do because you're not there to speak the text and you're not there to speak the email you're going to emphasize it some way today uh, people would use emojis in some way to emphasize this it, it would be like uh, whenever you write uh, an email to somebody if you if you bolded the text and you put this particular phrase in caps and then you raised the, the font and highlighted it in yellow so that it would stand out among uh, you know from everything else so that you would not be able to miss the message the message is this God is holy and our holy God calls us to be holy you know, in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter tells us, But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct, for it is written, Be holy as I am holy. And you say, well, wait a minute. God is holy. He is infinite in perfection. I am not infinite, nor am I perfect. So how can I be holy? And here's the deal. Because God's nature is holiness his nature is other than mine and other than yours the only way for you and i to be holy is to have our nature altered by the power of an all-powerful all holy amazing wonderful god hebrews 13 says that jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify or to set apart the people through his blood Jesus died on the cross for our sins that we would be made holy when when the blood of Christ is applied to to our sin debt account then we that is part of the process that makes us holy it is really the beginning of the process of uh, of our uh, of our, our justification uh, that, that 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 brings us into the presence of God. Our nature is intertwined with God's nature at that point. And so, if there is anything holy about God's people, it is only that which God has done. Malachi three tells us that. God is like a refiner burning the impurities out of his people. And the picture there is that, it is that God values his people. He has a purpose for his people. He has a use for his people. But he needs to mold them and shape them. Burn those impurities out until uh, someone once said that a refiner would, would, would take this ore, this mineral, this gold, if you will, and they would put it in the fire and bring it out and put it in the fire and bring it out. And one of the ways that they knew that it was ready to be used is when they could put it in the fire and bring it out and wipe the soot off of it and see the reflection of the refiner. 
You see, if there's anything holy about us, it comes from God. And understanding God's holiness helps us to understand our need for Him. Listen, in good times or in bad, God is holy. God was holy in the days of Isaiah, and He was holy when John wrote Revelation 4, and He is holy today, and that, my friends, in an ever-changing world will never change. The truth is we were created by a holy God to be made holy and to accomplish a holy purpose. Three things about God that will never change. God is holy, number one. But number two, God is sovereign. If you look at verse 9, it says, When the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks, they give it to the one seated on the throne. Now, many people often confuse God's sovereignty with His knowledge and His will. And, and listen, when you talk about all three of those things, you, you, you are many times talking about them in, in relation to the same types of subject matter. And there are times when, when uh, certainly you talk about them uh, together, but we have to understand that, that God's sovereignty and His knowledge and His will are distinct from one another. And so as we see Jesus on the throne here in Revelation 4, we see a physical and a spiritual declaration of the presence and the presentation of God. So what does that mean? Well, it means that He is there, He is present, and He is in control. He is presiding. In fact, what this reflects is that, is that Jesus is the rightful governor of all things in creation. He governs over them. In fact, the word sovereignty, if you look it up in a dictionary, uh, you'll find one of the definitions is that sovereignty means the rightful authority. If you look up some synonyms for the word sovereignty, we understand that sovereignty can mean supreme rank. Uh, it, can also, uh, it can also mean that uh, you're in the, the rightful jurisdiction, the rightful judge. Uh, you, you have dominion, you have control. One professor, Paul Miller, once wrote that the doctrine of God's sovereignty tells us God is the rightful ruler of the universe. In short, this is what it means. No matter what happens in the world, good or bad, God is in control. Remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6 and verse 1? Again, he says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne. Here's the deal, folks. Revelation 4 was written in A.D. 90. But King Uzziah died in 740 B.C. Some 830 years before John writes what the vision is that God gives him. Before John writes that down in the book of Revelation, Isaiah writes down and describes a very similar vision 
some 830 years before that happened. You know what that tells us? That tells us that during the life of Isaiah, when Israel rebelled against God, when their hearts were far from God, remember Isaiah says, you sing words taught by man, but your hearts are far from me. In those days, God was still on the throne. And when Judah and Israel were taken into exile and away from the promised land for a period of time, God was still on the throne. In the book of Malachi, when God decided after the book of Malachi that he would be silent for 400 years, God was still in control. He was on the throne when the Holy Spirit delivered the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to the womb of the Virgin Mary. And when Jesus was beaten and when he was bruised for our sins and he died on the cross for our sins. And, and when, the, when, when, when the Father turns his back on the Messiah, God was still on the throne. He was on the throne then and he is on the throne today. And here's what that means. Listen, COVID-19 has not knocked God off of his throne. And I'm not saying that God likes it. I'm not saying that he caused it. But I am saying that he is still in control. And he continues to be the rightful and infinitely perfect sovereign governor over all creation. You know, I, I feel bad for many of our elected officials during these days. You know, both sides of the aisle, no matter what you do, there are going to be people that are upset. Now, the difference, though, is that whether you love them or hate them, no matter what side of the aisle they are, we do not have any elected officials who are infinitely perfect. But we have a God who is. And we, we need to understand this because we need to understand that we cannot lose it when things don't go our way. And instead, we need to trust that what prevails in the end will be that which is God's way. He is on the throne. Uh, Christian author Lisa uh, Turkhurst has a quote I thought was really relevant to this. She says, I can rest in the fact that God is in control which means I can face things that are out of my control and not act out of control. Isn't that awesome? I can rest that God is in control because that means that, that when I face things that are out of my control, I don't have to act out of control. He is holy and He is sovereign and you can trust Him. That's never going to change. But the third thing that's never going to change, not only is God holy, not only is He sovereign, but God is worthy. If you look at verses 10 and 11, it says that the, in Revelation 4 here, it says that the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and they worship the one who lives forever and ever. Man, what an amazing picture that is of a God in heaven that is worthy of worship. He is worthy of praise. He, he, is, he is worthy that you and I should, should honor Him. We should love Him. 
We should trust Him, worship Him and His character and His power, His love, His sacrifice. Listen, tell me one thing on this planet or one thing in all the universe that is more deserving of worship than the God who created all things, the God who's set apart from all things, and the God who governs all things. What else is there? I think David understood this in Psalm 73 when he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? He understood that God is worthy. And another way of saying that God is worthy is saying that God is worth it. He is worthy and He is worth it. Because the truth is, is that it's not always going to be easy to serve God. The truth is, is that you're not always going to feel like getting up and going to church. You won't always feel like loving your neighbor. You won't always feel like encouraging one another. You won't always feel like reading your Bible or even singing praises to God. But I can tell you, and Revelation 4 tells us very clearly, that God is worthy. It is worth it, and He is worth it. I want you to notice in verse 10 what it says that the elders are doing at the throne as they worship God. It says they cast their crowns before the throne. I don't know if you, if you get what that means. I'm sure a lot of you do, but let me, let me just spell it out for you here. It means that any award received, any recognition or honor that has been, had been given to these elders... The only thing that it was good for was to be presented back to God as an act of worship. It's an acknowledgement that whatever that crown is, whatever that, that blessing is, whatever that honor is, it's the acknowledgement that God, this came from you. God, this was done in your name. This was done by your power. And God, this is all about you. And the only thing that it's good for for me is to bring back to you in order to bring you glory that much more. You see, the worship of God was worth it to them. The question is, is it worth it to you? You know, in a world full of uncertainties, there's one thing that's never going to change, and that is God. And some of those characteristics of God that are never going to change is that He is holy, He is sovereign, and He is worthy. That means that you will always need Him, you can always trust Him, and He is always worth it. Let's pray.